0: It's good to be with you guys. Good morning. Welcome to church today. Uh, as Todd said, I'm Micah Sharchberg, and I'm the youth pastor here. And I am not Jamie Miller, in case you couldn't tell. We, we look pretty alike, but it's easy to get us confused. No, not really. But you know Jamie's a man of faith when he lets, uh, he lets the youth pastor preach on a Sunday morning, right? So you're in for a little treat. Come on. Uh, it's going to be good this morning. Uh, but before I get into all the, the, the super spiritual stuff, uh, you guys may have heard we, we, uh, we just renamed our youth ministry to Lifehouse Student Ministry. And uh, so I'm very excited about that. So um, if you are not a youth and you would like one of our cool flat bills or our sweet uh, back dressing bag, the first two people up here. Oh, front row. See, you should sit towards the front. People in the back, y'all better start running. Uh, all right. Well, uh, it's a joy. I just want to say it's a joy to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, Rachel and I have been here in Fort Worth for about 14 months now. And about the entirety of that time working as a youth pastor here. And uh, we love this church and we love being here. And I love our, our youth. They are... Um, just a joy to, to be around and to work with, and uh, God, is, God is moving among our teenagers, and I'm not just up here saying that because I'm supposed to say that because I'm the youth pastor to make myself look good. I, I No, it's true, uh, and so if you don't normally get to, to interact with our teenagers, uh, I encourage you, so they're, they won't they won't bite you, I promise. You can go talk to them, uh, ask them what God's doing in their life, what God is doing in their schools. Um, we are just praying that God would do a mighty work among the teenagers in this city. There's over a hundred thousand youth and teenagers in this city, and so we've got a big job. but I am believing for great things and this past weekend, we had our youth fall retreat, and it was basically a life group retreat. so the whole thing was centered. The theme was I love my church and teaching our youth that hey they are. You know, although they are the future leaders of the church and in the, in the business world and the political world, they are the church now. Uh, and so uh, they are not disqualified from obeying the commands of Jesus. They, they are actually empowered to be the church now. And, and so uh, that's my challenge to them. And just Wednesday night, I had an opportunity to hear some of the testimonies coming out of, of what God was doing at, at Fall Retreat and in, that, in the homes and, and just loved hearing just, hey, Man, I felt God's presence. When, when, when the other people came and prayed for me, I, I experienced God. I felt closer to God than I ever have before. And that, that's what it's about. It's getting around the people of God and connecting with God himself. And that's why we're here. That's why we came to, hopefully that's why you came to church this morning is because you want to be with the people of God and you want to be close to the person of God. Um, as Todd said, Jamie's over at Lake Highlands. And when Jamie called me up and asked me if I was interested in serving as the youth pastor here i didn't know much about christ's fellowship, but I had heard Jamie speak a couple times, and so I had seen his passion for jesus and um, I heard him talking about time with jesus and i I had had a habit of spending time with the Lord in the morning uh, for for a while before I, i'd heard him for years before I'd heard him speak but when he talked about his relationship with Jesus, and he talked about what it looked like, there was something where I was like, man, that dude has tapped into a reality of friendship with Jesus that I have not, and I want that. And it didn't like discourage me like, oh man, I'm just not good enough, I guess. I just won't reach the spirituality of Jamie Miller ever. Uh, not till I get to heaven, Uh, but no, instead it caused me to rise up. There's something in my spirit that said, yes, I want that. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus. And so when we walk into the church, I think that should be our experience. Our experience should not be, oh man, I just don't measure up to that person or this person or how they worship or how they know the word of God, but let it be an encouragement, man. Jesus is at work. I want to, man, I want to tap into to what that person's experiencing with Jesus. Let that encourage you. Let that, let that call you up to greater things and greater levels of relationship with Christ. I think that's what it's talking about in he- Hebrews ten twenty four, where it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. When I see others walking with Jesus in a meaningful, real, and a powerful way, it inspires me to rise up. My prayer is that when you walk through these doors, that you would be inspired to rise up, and be the church. Aren't you thankful we have a pastor who preaches Jesus, week in and week out? Some pastors say that they're Jesus-centered preachers, but Jamie is actually a Jesus-centered preacher. If you heard him speak more than once, man, that dude just it, it just bleeds, it just oozes out of him. But it's because he's made Jesus his goal. It's Jesus is the person. Then the thing that he beholds. And you become what you behold. And so let's be a people who behold the face of Jesus. And as we do that, he'll change us and he'll transform us. Would you pray with me as we uh, jump into our sermon this morning? Heavenly Father, we, um, we just want to say everything that we have is because of you. And we just want to open up a, a window here for you to come through and for you to enter in this room and for you to meet with us. And God, you know every person in this room, you know every circumstance, you know every challenge, you know every trial, and you know every joy. I pray that you would speak hope in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of two geese and they're flying one day and, and one, one goose goes, goes flying by the other one. And so the goose that got left behind, he starts, you know, he starts, he's like, "I wonder what's what's going on with that guy." So he, so he starts flapping real hard, and he gets up there, and he goes, "Hey man, that's my best Brian Brian Bird impression. Hey man, how you doing?" And uh, and the and the first goose turns and he goes, "I don't know, but I'm making good time." Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so. So my point is, is, man, sometimes we get so wrapped up in just going places fast that we don't even know where we're going. And, and that's our culture, right? That's our culture. It's a culture of do more, be better, uh, be smarter. And if you're productive, if you're if you're always busy, man, that means you're you're doing something right. And that what you're doing must be really important. But I want us to take a step back this morning. Because thankfulness is one of those things that requires us to take a step back. It takes a moment, it takes us, it requires us to take a moment and to see things in a different light. When uh, when we were on our honeymoon, we had the opportunity to, to go parasailing, so I think we have a picture of that, and so that is not a fake picture, that's us up there, and uh, Man, it was awesome, right? Because we were able to get just a different perspective on things. When I go, when I go, uh, when I fly, I always try to, I always try to get the window seat uh, because, man, there's just something surreal about being up in the air and just looking down on everything. And suddenly the things that seem so intense and so significant don't seem as intense and as significant. And um, we need that perspective um, because there's more to life than increasing its speed. And it's really easy uh, for me to fall in that productivity trap, to want to do more and be better and find my worth in what I accomplish. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, God knew from the very beginning of mankind that we would struggle with comparison, that we would struggle with finding our worth in how we measure up to other people. So he even wrote it into the Ten Commandments. That was really nice of him. Exodus twenty seventeen: you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so God is getting at our hearts. And so where are you tempted to run faster, to try harder, to do more? Where are you tempted to measure your worth based on how you stack up against the people around you? Because at this very point, stands an important contrast between God's heart for companionship through thankfulness and man's unending desire for self-gratification. At this juncture stands an important distinction between discontentment and contentment, ungratefulness and thankfulness. To put it simply, comparison is the opposite of thankfulness. You see, um, this week there's you're going to be hanging out with some family, right? And there there's going to be some some interesting family dynamics probably going on. So yeah, I got a couple a couple of laughs there, right? Some good and maybe some. Not so good, right? Everybody's got the we- the weird Uncle Bill. Can I get an amen? That that uncle you just you're like, "Yeah, man, I I'm not related to you, bro." Sorry. That you just don't know you don't know what Uncle Bill's going to do. And you kind of like try to hide the kids when he like comes around. Uh it's 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 all right. We all know we all know who we're thinking about right now. Um and so as we enter into this Intense emotional week known as Thanksgiving with interesting relational dynamics and all these ideas and ideals about what the holidays are supposed to look like. I want to equip you for this week. I want to equip you with thankfulness for whatever comes your way. And so Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. So it's important to note here, there's a difference between prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer is a great thing. We should pray. Um, But we need to supplement our prayer and our prayer life with thanksgiving. They're two different things. My dad would often tell me a bad day on the golf course is better than a good day at work. And I've had plenty of bad days on the golf course. I've had some good ones too, though. But his point was, and I'm—I'm not making a statement about work. Work's a good thing; we should enjoy our work. But uh, the point was, is hey, sometimes even in the midst of just, we just need to—we need to have that perspective. We need to get a different perspective on our day-to-day life. That's what Thanksgiving does for us. Thanksgiving helps us to see the forest through the trees. Because in the moment, our emotions can deceive us. Now, emotions are a good thing, but they're not the end-all, be-all. And so we can't see the forest through the trees. We can only see what's in front of us. But thankfulness is that thing that lifts us up out of the forest and allows us to see things from God's perspective. Okay? And so um, when we're in the moment, if we allow our emotions... To dictate our responses, that's when we can sometimes get ourselves into trouble, right? We act out of anger. We say something we know we shouldn't have. We do something we regret. And so we can't always trust our emotions. But in that moment, if we can allow thankfulness to rise up in our hearts, we can have, make decisions that are informed by God and make sure that they are in line with his purpose for us so that we don't miss His purpose is for us. Our decisions are powerful. The decisions you make today will determine the person you are tomorrow. And so we have to have that heavenly perspective so that we can make the right decisions that God is calling us to. Thankfulness is that key. Thankfulness is the thing that allows us to have that perspective. I believe that Jesus understood the power of thanksgiving and the fact that thanksgiving will shape our life experience. So what are you? What are you anxious about? Really, what? What? What are you anxious about right now? Maybe it's about Uncle Bill. Maybe it's about you know how you're gonna get your family to wherever you're going for Thanksgiving, or you know it's about your classes or your grades or your finances. And see, the cool thing is, is that. Anxiety doesn't have to just be a negative thing. Because I believe that anxiety is actually an indicator about where we're lacking thanksgiving in our lives because we're lacking God's perspective. And so the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to ruin your life. He's out to ruin your thanksgiving. He doesn't care about you. He really, and he, and he wants to ruin your life. He doesn't feel bad about it at all. No feelings of shame about it. He just wants to ruin your life. And so what we want to do is we want to turn his, what he meant for harm, and we want to allow God to work it for good. And the way that we do that is when we start to feel those feelings of anxiety, you know what we can do? We say, man, devil, thank you so much for reminding me that I need to be thankful, that I need God's perspective on this situation, That was so kind of you, Mr. Devil, right? And so suddenly, what what the devil is trying to, to, to bury us in the ground with becomes our greatest place of victory. And so don't let your anxieties dominate you this Thanksgiving, but actually turn them on their head in that moment and say, okay, God, I need some perspective on this moment because I'm feeling anxious with prayer and petition, along with thanksgiving, submit your requests to God. You know what that says to me? God wants to hear our request. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about, I'm not saying he doesn't care about your anxieties. He wants to hear them, but he wants you to supplement them with thanksgiving. Okay? If you read the Psalms, David is a, man, he is raw with God. He gets real with God. And, but you know what he always does? It's okay to get real with God, it's okay to yell and scream with God, but you better finish it with with some Thanksgiving and acknowledging that He is Lord. We can't have one without the other. We need both. But we gotta fight for it. We gotta fight for peace. We gotta fight for perspective. We have to fight for Thanksgiving. And so, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I don't necessarily gravitate (laughs) towards Thanksgiving. I gravitate towards complaining. Man, man, I wish this would be different. I wish I can walk in a room and be like, I don't like that. I don't like what that person's doing. I think that should be different. And that's just what, that's what I tend to. But just because I, I have a tendency that way doesn't mean I should live in that. Man, this is my standard. One of the things I do with our youth is I, I, sometimes I'll have a hold of the Bibles and I'll say, I refuse to believe the lie that this is not applicable to my life today. That this word is dead. But I inche- instead choose to believe that this, this the, the word of God has power to change my life. And so we have to conform our experience to the word of God, not allow our experience to, con- to dictate what the word says. Does that make sense? Okay. So the main thing I'm trying to communicate this morning is that following Jesus and allowing him to shape our hearts in the process naturally results in thanksgiving. Okay, in our flesh, it doesn't naturally result in the thanksgiving, but when we choose and behold, remember you become what you behold when we behold Jesus and allow him to do the shaping instead of us just trying to do better in our walk with God, be a better Christian, something shifts in our hearts. I believe God wants to shift something this morning. But the thing is that Thanksgiving gets worked out in relationships. And that's what makes it hard. So we have to slow down. We got to step back sometimes from our relationships and get some perspective. That's why it's so essential that we spend time with the Lord in the morning so we can step back just like Jesus did. He would withdraw to lonely places. If Jesus, the son of God, needed to spend time with God, man, I I know I do. I don't know about you, but I know I do. So I want to encourage you. When we step back from those relationships, when we get God's perspective, then we can enter into them with joy. Thanksgiving attacks our insecurities. It overcomes our anxieties. It gives us heavenly perspective, and it challenges us, challenges us to remind us in the moment that Jesus is with us. The main passage we're going to be working out of today is in Luke 17 verse 11 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. This is a cool passage. It's really fun. So I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to see how God wants to speak to us. Okay. On the way to Jerusalem, verse 11, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not the 10 made clean? Where are those other homies at? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. So I want to give us some background in terms of the social setting here. And so Jesus is on his way back down to Jerusalem. And but at the current time he's in Galilee. And so I think we have a map of where Jesus is at. And so if you see the arrow where it says the border Luke describes, this is where so Jesus is coming down from Galilee and he's traveling along that blue line there on his way down to Jerusalem. And so Samaritans are a are are a it's, they are a rival Jewish sect with the Jews of the South. And each of them, their rivalry consists that, oh, we have the true Judaism. And so Samaritans actually, it, there wasn't just one temple in Jerusalem. There was actually multiple temples across Israel. And so the Samaritans had some of their own temples across the land. And so Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. And they did not interact with one another. But if you look at the book of Luke, what you'll find is that Jesus consistently spends time with Samaritans, people that he shouldn't be spending time with. If you know Luke 10, the story of Luke 10, it's the prodigal of the good Samaritan. Jesus is known as a man who's hanging out with sinners, with prostitutes, with Samaritans. And so Jesus isn't afraid of the outcast. He isn't afraid of those on the outside. And as lepers, these people were not just figuratively on the outside, they were actually on the outside. And so as a leper, it was kind of like you were isolated. Modern day, like if you had Ebola or something, you were isolated from society so that you did not infect anyone else, a gross, grotesque disease. And as you walked around so that you did not defile anybody else sacramentally, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. And so not only are you separated, but you have to walk everywhere you go. You have to live in the shame that you are lesser than everybody else around you. And so in this passage, we have a mixture of Jews and Samaritan lepers. Because typically people who are pretty down and out and are just trying to survive, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Samaritan, we just got, we got to hang together so that we can just survive. And so these guys are just trying to make it. And what we see here from the very beginning is that they have at least a conception of Jesus or they've heard about him or they know it, they, they've heard that he's coming by or something because they call him by name and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So Jesus' reputation preceded him, and the lepers knew that he was man of power and authority because you can't extend mercy unless you're a powerful man. And so, man, can we just all pause and just recognize, man, we all need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy. And sometimes we have to hit the bottom of the barrel before we realize it. But in that moment, that's when we recognize our need for a Savior. And so these men acknowledge Jesus as master. So thankfulness begins with acknowledging Jesus as master. And acknowledging that he has the power. Have the power. Jesus is is the one who has the power. And so we need to acknowledge that. And ask for his mercy. And really what he's doing, he's saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. And so thankfulness begins with a relationship with Jesus. And so what I'm trying to paint for you guys today, like I said earlier, is that thankfulness is a process. Thankfulness is not just an exercise that we do one day. All right. Some, anybody read Ann Boskamp, 1,000 Gifts? It's a great book. I highly recommend it on Thanksgiving. Um, but what I'm, not, what I'm not trying to do is just tell you, you need to go home and write down 10 things you're thankful for. Although, that is a good thing to do. There are way worse things to do. Um, but what I'm trying to, to get at is that I want us to see God's heart and understand the process that he wants to, to lead us through in Thanksgiving and how that shapes our lives. And so thankfulness has no meaning to us or to God if we have no relationship with the one whom we are to be thankful to. It's not thankfulness to our circumstances. It's thankfulness to a person. Let me say that again. It's not thankfulness for our circumstances. You don't have to know Jesus to be thankful for your circumstances. It's thankfulness to a person who has dictated our circumstances because it connects us to the heart of our Father. Jesus is about relationship. Thankfulness begins with relationship and is made possible by mercy. Have you entered into a relationship with Jesus? Or how is your relationship with Jesus doing, very simply? How's it going? Have you placed yourself in a position to receive mercy from God? Secondly, I believe this passage demonstrates that thankfulness requires obedience. Verse 14, then he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. So it's not necessarily the priest, when they get to the priest that they're healed excuse me, it's it's as they're going to the priest that they're healed. And so their obedience to the words of Jesus was actually what brought the healing. Okay, so sometimes in the church, obedience gets a bad rap, all right? Uh, Man, bro, you're just, bro, you're too legalistic, man. You just need to chill, chill out, bro. Like, quit, quit your Bible thumping, bro. Seriously, uh, but here's the thing: it's not legalism if Jesus asked us to do it. It's not legalism if Jesus asked us to do it. If it leads us into relationship with Jesus, it's not legalistic. Now we can take the words of Jesus and apply them legalistically. But if it gets us closer to the person of Jesus, it's not legalism. Okay? And so, um, obedience sometimes is the very thing that brings the breakthrough that we need. You know what I find when I, when I don't want to obey? <laughs> Typically, it's just fear. I mean, if you get down to it, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of doing what Jesus says. And so, man, but, 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 but obedience is not the problem. I'm the problem. And I need Jesus' mercy to change me. 1 John 2, 3-6 says, Now by this we may be sure that we know if we obey his commandments, whoever says, I have come to know him but does not obey his commandments is a liar and in such a person the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. And so obedience paired with love is powerful. y'all. And so, like I was saying, it can be legalistic if it's done apart from love. But man, if we're doing something to honor God, to love other people man, that is something that can bring breakthrough in your life. Let's overcome our fears and not be afraid to be, obey the words of Jesus because it may be the very thing you need to bring the healing in your life that you've been desperately desiring. We need both. So it's pretty clear that this guy actually didn't necessarily actually make it to the priest. It says, as they went, they were meek made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Okay, so he hadn't quite made it. I want to pause there and say, I think at some point, even though he goes back and he sees Jesus, which we're going to talk about, I think at some point he did make it to a priest. And here's the cool thing, because Jesus was very intentional in everything he did. And so he was telling them to go to the priest, not... well. Clearly, it wasn't to get healed. They were already healed physically. But here's the thing. In that day and age, the priests were the gatekeepers to society. And so when you went to the priests, they were the ones who had to declare you clean so that you could re-enter society. And so Jesus is going after something deeper than just a physical healing. He wants to restore their relationships. He wants to restore their jobs. He wants to restore them economically. He wants to restore them socially. He wants to restore them spiritually so that they can come to the temple and worship and offer sacrifices. Jesus is after a holistic healing. Aren't you thankful that God is into holistic healing? That he isn't just trying to fix you, but he's trying to heal you. And he's not just trying to get you to do what he wants, but he's trying to heal you in every aspect of your heart and your life. Man, that's a loving... That's the kind of father I want to know. That's the kind of Jesus that I want to be in relationship with. Man. Amen. And so, although obedience is important, (laughs) the one who gives the command that brings the breakthrough is more important. The God... The process is important, but the God of the process is more important. This leper, because of his obedience and thankfulness, something in him made him turn around. 90% of people, according to this story, don't quite grasp thankfulness. Will you be in the 10% that really get it? Will you turn around? What made this guy turn around? And whether he realized it or not, after he did turn around, he came back into an encounter with the king of kings, not just with a priest, but with the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Hebrews 4:14 4, through16 describes it this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, who has been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Aren't you thankful that Jesus understands you? Nobody else may understand you, but Jesus understands you. And not only does he understand you, but he also understands your temptations. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so we may receive mercy. Here's that theme of mercy again. And find grace to and help and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody need some mercy this week? Anybody need a little grace this week for Thanksgiving? Hey, Jesus is saying it's available. You just got to come to me. I am the high priest. But we need multiple encounters with Jesus sometime to get, sometimes to get there. These guys encounter Jesus, they go on their way, they're walking out their, their obedience. But then this guy, he needed another encounter with Jesus. And so the cool thing is, is that, man, we have, when we're thankful, it leads us into an, another encounter with Jesus, which turns into faith. It's a cycle. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. Thankfulness puts God in his right place as the high priest. When we turn around, it takes a humbling, though. We have to humble ourselves. And so, what we want to do is we never want to get caught, so caught up in God's hand that we miss his heart. We never want to get so caught up in the blessings that God is giving or seeking his blessing that we miss the one who who gives the blessings. Man, I want to know the heart of I don't I do I want the blessings? Of course I do. But I want to know the one who gave the blessing. I want to know the heart of God. And so I want to encourage you. Man, let's pursue the heart of God. Let's not just pursue his hand. How much of your prayer time is spent just asking for blessings? Versus just asking to know who he is and know his heart. Now, should we pray and should we ask for things? Yes, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But we never should do that at the expense of missing a relationship and knowing the one who gives the blessings. That is the true reward. We won't take anything with us to heaven except our relationship with Christ. The only thing you can give to Jesus is your heart. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. When we humble ourselves and acknowledge that every good thing we have in our lives comes from God, we experience breakthrough. When we turn around, it puts Jesus in his rightful place as the high priest, as our high priest, above our circumstances, above our talents, above our abilities, above our economic income, above our education level, social status, relationship status, or skillfulness, but it takes a humbling. Have you humbled yourself before Jesus enough to experience the blessings of thankfulness? The third thing that thankfulness requires is work. Like I said earlier, my tendency naturally isn't towards Thanksgiving, it's towards complaining. And so we have to work for it sometimes. I don't know why these other nine guys didn't come around. Why didn't they not turn back? Maybe they were so focused on the blessing, on celebrating with their, their healing with their families, on being re-entered into society that they forgot the one who gave the blessing. Maybe they just didn't want to go to the work of going all the way back to Jesus first. Thanksgiving takes work, but it's always in the will of God. You don't have to question whether or not, man, should I be thankful? I don't know if I should pray this prayer or not. Man, it is. That's something you can take to the bank. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mike, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know what God's will is for my life. It's to be thankful. Does God have a calling on your life? Yes, I believe that but his will for you is to be thankful no matter what his calling is. Colossians 3:15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. It's not a suggestion. Hey, if you get around to it, maybe you should throw up some thankfulness prayers, bro. Like it'll be awesome. No, he's saying be thankful. It's a command. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The Psalms, once again, back to the psalm, they were written, a lot of them as, as, as songs the Israelites would sing on their way to the temple. They weren't even in the temple yet. They were singing them on their way to the temple. Man, thankfulness preps and primes the pump of our hearts. It's a powerful tool, but we must utilize it. It may not always be easy. I'm not saying thankfulness is easy, but it's always in the will of God. It's always in the will of God. Fourth thing this passage teaches us about thankfulness is that it leads to worship. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a, a voice. What kind of voice? a loud voice. This dude was not quiet about his healing. And so clearly, I I mean, unless this guy had like some asthma and he was lagging behind the rest of the group, uh, the other guys knew that he was turning around. He was not quiet about it. He connected the blessing with the blessor. He connected the hand of God with the heart of God. I think some of us need to get a little bit louder about our testimonies. We need to start sharing those more freely. And guess what? When we start doing that, I think church will be a lot more fun. I think church should be fun. Okay, I just just do. All right, here's the thing. Adults will come to church out of a sense of obligation. Teenagers will not. They have no filter. If it's not fun, if they don't enjoy it, they ain't coming back, all right? I think we can learn, man, let's make church fun. Let's tell some testimonies, and let's not be quiet about it. I want to challenge you. Hey, on your way home, share a testimony. It doesn't have to be like 50 people. got to, Just share something that God's done in your life this week. Real simple thing. And let's make that a habit. Man, let's make sharing testimonies a habit. Let's make church fun. All right, it should lead to worship. Here comes this guy. He's worshiping along the way before he gets to Jesus. And then, he's wor- and then he sees Jesus. And what does he do? We gotta, right, I have a picture. And this guy, he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. You see... The people who make the best worshipers are often the people who are the most thankful. This dude was a thankful man. And he was willing to humble himself before God for what God had done for him. He didn't care. He was a leper. He knew what it meant to be dirty. A little more dirt wasn't going to hurt him. Our thanksgiving should lead us to worship. And if we have really thankful hearts, our worship is going to come to life. You see, the thing is, is the worship, actually, our worship is not about these guys up here, although that we couldn't do it without them. It's not about how skilled a musician Jonathan is, how good a singer. Worship is not about a feeling. It's about an expression. Let me say it again. Worship is not about a feeling, it's about an expression. We are expressing our thankfulness to God. It doesn't matter how good or bad these guys are. Now, I'm not, I, I think we should have awesome worship. I think God is worthy of really good worship and excellent skill. Um, but if we get caught up in just, oh, I come and I just listen to the, you know, oh, worship was okay. Man, like, I missed out. I missed out. It's not on them, it's on me. I don't want to miss what God has. I don't want to miss that connection with Jesus. And Jesus receives worship. He stood there and he received it. No, 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 man, don't do that. No, no, you're already dirty. No, he received. You know Jesus receives your worship? When you're worshiping, I, sometimes when I worship, I just picture Jesus and he's just smiling. And he's like, yeah, come on, more, more, yeah. Jesus receives your worship. It doesn't matter how good or bad you think you are. He just wants you to worship him. The last thing I think this passage teaches us that thankfulness takes faith. Thankfulness connects the good in our lives to the one who is truly good. We're not the 10 made clean, but the other homies, where are they at? Was none of them found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? So the guy who was least expected to turn around, the, the Samaritan, nevertheless, here he is. Then he said to him, get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Thankfulness takes faith. It takes seeing God in the mundane situation and times of life. Can you see God when you're vacuuming your house? Can you see God when you're scrubbing the toilet bowl? Can you see God when you're washing dishes? Can you see God when you're just sitting at home doing the bills or doing the budget? Man, I think there's something really significant. Jesus wants to infuse his life into your day-to-day mundane times of life through thankfulness. But it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God is hearing your prayers, that he's moving on your behalf, that he's with you in the moment. Jesus says, I'll never fail you or forsake you. I'll never leave you. God promises he'll never, he's always with you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with you. He likes doing chores. Or at least they're a lot more fun when I do them with him. Yeah. Yeah, thankfulness takes faith. If you ever watch the Oscars, it's got to be the lamest expression of thankfulness ever. Oh my gosh, so boring. <laughs> I like to thank dude. I like to thank God, I like to thank God. And it's like, it's like, come on, right? You're, sorry, if you like the Oscar, that's awesome. That's great. But I'm like, it's so, come on. Where's your, where's your passion? Where's your heart? Faith is one of those things that infuses, like, passion into our thankfulness. Man, faith makes thankfulness, like, life-giving rather than life-draining. Faith, believing that our thankfulness is going to produce something worthwhile. It's not enough to hear about Jesus or to be healed by him. It must result in thanksgiving. And it takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11:16:6. Six. So we're thankful, and we're thankful that stirs our faith which leads us into an encounter with Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, we're more thankful, which leads to more faith, which leads to another encounter with Jesus. I don't think just the teenagers should be the most passionate people in the church. I think that our passion for Jesus should grow as we get older because we've walked through cycles of thankfulness, faith, encounter, thankfulness, faith, encounter, And that is a cycle that will ignite your passion for Jesus. It will bring life and refreshment and newness to your walk with the Lord. Man, there's more of Jesus. Did you know that you've just dipped a toe in the ocean of God's revelation? You have just seen a glimpse of his glory. I want to see the glory of God. And I want to believe, and I refuse to believe that I've seen the totality of what I've seen in my life. So, whether you're 15 or you're 55, believe for more. Enter into the Thanksgiving faith encounter cycle of passion, of ignition, that will fuel the flame of your heart. Your faith has made you well. Wasn't he already healed, Micah? I have a picture of Rachel and I on our wedding day, and uh, that's uh, right after, uh, at the end of the, the ceremony. And so we had spent time together, we'd been together, we'd invested ourselves into one another committed ourselves to one another. I bought her a ring. We spent all the money on the wedding. We knew, you know, that we were going to get married. So for practical reasons, we were pretty much already married, basically. But it wasn't until technically that our pastor Brian said the words, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And so although the guy was technically already healed, I think what Jesus is doing is is, he's putting a stamp on it. He's saying, yes, go on your way. He's not saying just hang out with me. He's saying, go. Where do you need Jesus to speak just a yes in your life or a let it be? It's speaking a future reality into existence in the moment. And it comes with power because Jesus is the one who's saying it. And he's saying, don't just stay here with me, go from here. And so Jesus wants you to be thankful. He wants it to lead to an encounter with him. But when you encounter him, you know what he's going to say? All right, man, now it's time to go. Now it's time to go. Now it's time to go tell people about what I've done in your heart. Now it's time to tell some testimonies. Now it's time to make church fun. Make your life group fun. Make your family life fun. Go do that. It's the it's it's the ceiling in the moment. Your faith has made you well. Now go do it, man. Man, I want Jesus to speak that over me. When God created the word the world, it was with a word. He spoke. He could have thought it into existence, but for some reason, he chose to speak it into existence. The God who spoke galaxies into existence wants to speak new life into your heart today? What do you need him to speak to you? You see, thankfulness is not just an exercise. It's a process that God leads us through, and it shapes our life experience. Will you enter in to the journey of thankfulness with Jesus? Would you stand with me? So what happened to the other guys? I mean, we don't even know if they actually made it to the priest. I'm assuming they did, so they could see their their healing completed. But if you're like me, I have people that I know who have had dramatic encounters with Jesus, but their lives are never really changed. They look the same, and they almost forget about what Jesus has done for them. Man, let's not be, let that not be true of us. Let's do something with our healing. Let's be a people that remember what God has done for us and do something with us. Let us begin to see the people around us this Thanksgiving, not as obstacles to our joy, but opportunities. Let's begin to see the good in other people rather than the bad in them and begin to be thankful for the good things in that person? It will transform your reality. What if we begin to receive thankfulness from others instead of, oh, you did something for me, so now I owe you something in return? You see, thankfulness is a multiplier effect. It seals what God has done and propels us into, what, into more, and into what he wants to do. It launches us into the thankfulness Faith encounter cycle. Will you put thankfulness into practice? Will you allow thankfulness to combat your pride and make you willing to humble yourself before God and others? Will you allow thankfulness to shape your experience? and allow you to see God in the mundane and really simple and boring and ordinary times of life? Will you allow thankfulness be fueled by your faith that Jesus really is who he says he is and he really wants to do what he said he can do? Will you allow thankfulness to lead you into greater levels of joy in your relationship with him and with others? Thankfulness takes work. It takes humility. It takes faith, but it ends in a relationship with Jesus and with other people that is fulfilling. It's worth it. Thankfulness is worth it. Submitting to the God of the process is worth it because we get to know the God of the process in the, along the way. Where is God calling you to be thankful? Some of you you just need to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And he's extending that to you today. If you just call on him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Really, that you can just pray that. And he will come to you. He will Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I've messed up, God. I need you, Jesus. I need a relationship with you. I don't want to do this on my own anymore maybe you need prayer for healing and maybe physical healing but maybe financial healing maybe social healing maybe emotional healing remember Jesus isn't just into physical healing he's into healing the whole person these people up here are here to pray with you for the healing you need maybe you need to come and humble yourself before the Lord the altar is open this morning And express your thankfulness to him. Maybe you need a performative word spoken into your heart. And what you're going through. You just need someone to, hey, I just need you to speak some, some hope into my heart right now. That's why these guys are here. Or maybe you just need thankfulness to lead to worship. And so let's respond this morning. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. And let's allow our thankfulness to produce fruit bearing with our repentance.